Welcome to the Marketing Plan Podcast, where you'll find expert marketing advice for business owners and marketers who want real results. We bring you industry experts to give you advice on how to create more buzz around your brand. So buckle up and turn up the volume, because here comes our host, Sherry Benelli. We're going to take on the world. to another episode of the Marketing Plan Podcast. I'm your host, Sherry Benelli, and today we have Marcus Murphy here today. Welcome, Marcus. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I feel very welcome. I love <laughs> it. Like, smiling face. Awesome. Great. Thank you. So Marcus is the CEO of The 5%. He's a member of the LinkedIn Advisory Board as well, which is very, very cool. And he also has a course on LinkedIn learning called Aligning Sales and Marketing. I also have a course on LinkedIn. So I know how much work that goes into creating those courses. So I admire that as well. Thanks. Marcus has a ton. Right, Marcus? A lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is. <laughs> Marcus has a ton of experience in sales and marketing. And so he also does a lot of speaking engagements around the world. And if you've ever been to Traffic and Conversion Summit, you've probably seen him on stage with Ryan Dice. So we are so excited to have Marcus here today. Thank you so much for being here. No, absolutely. It's always fun, by the way. I was, it's always an honor. Like Ryan's a good friend and he was a boss and all these things. But just being in the same sentence as Ryan is always like this very comforting thing. It's like, oh yeah, Marcus and Ryan Dice. I'm like, I'll take it all yeah. day. And I'll take that. <laughs> I don't blame you there. I take it too. That's very cool. Very awesome. You know, I like to start out with a kind of a fun question before we get into the heart of everything. Um, here it goes. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready for this. Let's go. Travel by plane or by car? Ooh. Ooh. You know, there's so many counter questions, but my instinct is funny. I travel, and when I, we were traveling, when we were allowed, I was doing like three, 400,000 miles a year on average on an airplane, which is, that's very unhealthy. <laughs> Uh, but I prefer the car I could, I remember as a kid getting in, in the, in the, you know, the family car and driving across country and like literally just driving and for days and loving it. And I find myself now, like when I'm trying to relax, I do go for drives. I, I will prefer a car over flying in the hustle and bustle, unless it's private, unless we're balling and we jump on a PJ, then I'm picking that. Cause that's, that's a, there you go. I mean, a private jet, man, that would be, <laughs> I mean, that's why it's like, you asked me that question. I've got like 50 other questions. <laughs> I'm like, wait, wait, who are we with? And what kind of plane is it? Are we with am the I, general public? <laughs> right. Am I at the back of the plane? Or yeah, exactly. Right. The plane? Not, do I own the whole thing? You know, no, I, I prefer, I prefer a drive. It's actually how I unwind because I'm so extroverted. I need that quiet, that little quiet time. And I love, I love driving. That's awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much for answering that question. That's no great. Problem. So uh, I had mentioned the company 5% that you're the CEO and co-founder of. Can you tell us a little bit about that company? Yeah. So uh, 18, almost two years ago, I made the crazy decision of leaving my dream job at Digital Marketer with, with Ryan Dice uh, and a bunch of other wonderful folks there and go out to go and start something. And I had no idea what I was going to go start, but I knew that there was like something drawing me out to be like, man, you need to go try and start something. So uh, after some soul searching and literally putting up a whiteboard in my garage, because I thought, hey, a lot of people have started some cool things from garages, Apple and and everything else. I was like, Amazon is like, okay, I got to get this. So I'm like hot and in Austin, Texas in the summertime with my whiteboard out there and, and a glass of wine trying to figure out what the heck I'm going to go do. And you know, for years, it's funny because I think that there are a lot of people who transition out of roles or companies that want to go start their own thing. And I, that was literally my journey. 
And I remember sitting there going, well, there must be a lot of other people like me. And what do they do? Because I'm on Google right now and I'm reaching out to all my friends that are CEOs and entrepreneurs and trying to figure out what they did and how they navigated this thing. And I was like, well, my background's in education. Uh, my background also is just kind of understanding platform and community. And I, I've just been in that world. So I'm like, well, naturally, I would love to create a community for these people who are transitioning into entrepreneurship. That's how it started. And I was like, oh man, that there must be a huge base of that. Now, what's right. funny about that beginning is that where I've ended up is actually entrepreneurship education and community for athletes, which is what this company is. Um, but way back two years ago, I was sitting around fumbling, trying to figure out, well, what is that? And it's evolved. So it's evolved into that. We're in our seed round of funding. We're so excited. We have our launch event coming up in the new year, but it's truly, it's, it's education, education for specifically entrepreneurship. So we've narrowed it down to five pillars. So it's sales, marketing, leadership, wealth, and wellness. So all that mental and physical and being able to give people the foundation so that they can absolutely go as high as they need to go. Right. So that we call it the skyscraper analogy where it's like 10% is what we see. 90% was the effort under the surface. And so we're really kind of occupying the space for uh, specifically athletes who want to build an entrepreneurial foundation as they perfect their sport. And so that was something that we're super pumped about. And that launches, yeah, in 2022 insane nice that's awesome yeah. that's so great i love the whole i love the whole wellness part because i think a lot of us entrepreneurs are a little wacky sometimes oh man oh so you definitely need to stress the wellness both mental and physical i think <laughs> a thousand percent i don't know what i would do this year if i didn't have a counselor one or a therapist because i i'm very proud to talk about that that's something that i feel like everybody needs doesn't matter <laughs> it's right like, it's like my wife and I, we didn't stop counseling because things were good. It's like, you need it. Right. And then I also think that on the physical side, I mean, goodness, how, how much we are so unhealthy blanket statement as an entrepreneur, because we turn to things like we like to escape or we work so hard that we have to have an outlet. And I just finally said, you know what, this year, this past year, I got a trainer. Finally, I got smart and got somebody to help me and hold me accountable. And that's been huge for me. So I just want to be able to take like those simple things that I've learned and, and be able to help like, you know, early stage folks and set those foundations. So they're not, you know, running themselves in the ground years later. So this is only for athletes then, right? It is, you know, we're starting that way. It's funny that I feel like those are also, I feel like I'm going through my investment deck. You know, people, we, we want to start there because we think that there's a major need for it. And there is like a very saturated entrepreneurship education market and the verticalization of really going sport first, which some of the people who are involved in the business are professional athletes in the NBA. And so we had this natural, natural kind of few partnerships in there that really made it possible. And I love sports, but I think that's where we start. I think that it'll eventually spread that this education for early stage entrepreneurs is, is valuable for everybody, but I think niching is smart in the beginning, just so we can, you know, kind of say this is like our corner of the, of the market. Very cool. And I'm sure get, get to meet some really fun people too at the <laughs> yeah, same yeah. time. That yeah, doesn't hurt either. Not <laughs> bad. Awesome. But so let's talk about marketing because you are really, really good at sales and marketing. Sometimes those two areas will fight with one another. Yeah. I'm sure you've experienced that a lot, but right now there are so many options for marketers. There's paid advertising, there's search engine optimization, there's social media, there's retargeting. Yep. There's, I mean, everything there's traditional advertising. Let's not forget about that. Right. I mean, there's <laughs> still TV advertising and billboards and all that other stuff. Insane. So I know, right. So as far as, um, marketing strategies go, what advice do you give marketers as far as 
what they should use and how should they analyze what strategies they should use for their business. Now, I know it varies depending on what type of business, Sure. but how do you tell marketers what they should do to figure out what marketing strategies or mediums they should use to market their business or products or services? Do you have any tips? Yeah, I've got, yeah. The, the first thing I want to say is that I think that marketing is fascinating. It's not the traditional place that I came from because I came, came the route of sales. But over the last six years, I have been around the best marketers on the planet. And even going to that thing called Traffic and Conversion Summit and hearing 180 sessions and bumping into people who are literally experts in all those areas you mentioned, yourself included as an SEO expert, I, I, I feel like marketing will forever be evolving and there'll be new things to pay attention to. And there will be people who are beating very specific drums that people should really pay attention to. And like, here's this new tool and here's this thing. And, you know, I, it's funny, I hear my, my friends, Dave, who started Jarvis, which everybody like knows and loves if you're a copywriter or you're a marketer, you're like, oh my God, this saves my life. But even, even those things can be somewhat distracting if you don't know where they fit in. So for me, marketing, like I've had to consume it, has to be simplified. It has to be simplified and be like, okay, here are the constants. Here are the things that are not truly going to change, but I need to figure out now where the tools and all these new cool things uh, are, are fitting in. And so I would say that, you know, marketing for me is three things. It's the market itself. I know super redundant, but totally makes sense. It's the market. It's the avatar. It's who they are at a molecular level. That that research and that knowing really sets you up for this, the second pillar, which is the message. And the message is something that people are either absolutely surgeons at, and they're fantastic, not only in the written way that they understand the message, but how they communicate it through, like you said, advertising, traditional. And then where are they is the third. That's the media. And that's like, where are these people? And how do we take the message, get it in front of them and get them to one, which is the overarching goal, pay attention at all, <laughs> you know? Right. And I always laugh because I think really great messages are measured by the people they attract, but also it equally is the people that stop, raise their hand and say, that's me. And so I've, 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 and again, I think that if we can say those are the three things that we focus on and we understand our market and we understand what message to put in front of them that allows them to stop in their tracks and raise their hand, then we understand where the rest of them are and where they like to hide and shop and where are the adjacent places that are totally non-competitive that we can partner with people who have access to big communities of these people. I think we've got something that allows us to immediately start to succeed and marketing now becomes a nucleus of our business rather than like this thing that we put on it and it's like somebody else in some agency has to has to do because i look at marketing and what i just said there as more like basic business knowledge that we have to have but when we start talking about these new platforms like i've been a linkedin quote unquote expert for years and a lot of that was just early on understanding this kind of foundational method and saying to myself okay well if i know who i'm trying to attract where are they and if they're on LinkedIn, perfect. I'm going to triple down on that platform. Now, the message I have to have is that that, that message section includes content. It includes all, this, all, the, all the things, all the different levers we have to pull to get someone's attention. And then over on the far side is like, now that I know that they're on LinkedIn, I'm going to, to live there and build a community and try to take as many of those relationships offline into real life. And so, yeah, that's, I know that sounds super remedial, but, but it does make it simple for us to think about uh, marketing in that way. And then the ways that we can kind of take these new tools and any kind of new discipline and, and put it against the constant. 
No, and I, I think that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, obviously building that avatar that we talked about, you have to know what the customer's problem is. Mm-hmm. So how do you suggest marketers figure out what the customer's problem is so that they can kind of build that avatar of that person? How do you find out what the problem is? I think marketers and, and people in general should, if you want to be successful in business, really need to actually be obsessive about human behavior. And the reason why I say that is because if you're a human behaviorist, <laughs> then you're sitting there thinking about what makes people tick, not only on a demographic level, like female CEO, you know, whatever shops at Costco, then mm. we need to know on a psychographic level, what your human characteristics are. Like we need to know your personality traits and we need to know. And the reason why we need to know those is because it helps us craft our message. And, you know, speaking of really smart people, I always laugh because this is a, such a simple concept, but it's one that has been life-changing for me in terms of like crafting a message. And if we're, stri- if we're trying to figure out how to solve someone's problem, one, we obviously need to know there's a solvable problem. But the other thing we need to do is understand that everybody has one. It's either the problem that they're running up against that they're bashing their head against the wall trying to figure out, or it's the problem of, I don't know if I'm going to ever get to where I want to go. And equally, those two things are very sad realities. One is a very like in your face, this is happening to me. And the other one is the potential like failure that people feel all the time because they're not feeling like they're in a place to uh, attain what they, what they're seeking. But I would back it up a bit because I actually think the majority of people on our planet (laughs) that call themselves humans can't actually articulate where they want to go. They live in the moment or they live in the past. That's like where we love to live. We we love to be. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So it's really hard for us because no one ever really taught us how to like create a vision or think about the future or dream in that way, which is somewhat unsafe sometimes because you you don't, those are very uncertain things. But I would say that if you can correctly articulate where someone is trying to go and you're the person who helps them realize and have the aha moment that that future reality is what they want, that is already a win. But the true like masters of this, not only show people where they are trying to go, where they currently are. So let me start this way. If you can benchmark where someone currently is empathetically, mm-hmm. and you really know like, oh my goodness, like this, this person truly gets me. They know who I am. That's, that's the market. That's you really knowing at a molecular level who they are because you understand empathetically who they are. That's how we identify the problem. Now, what I think people are masterful at is then saying, hey, person, where you currently are, there is this place over here in the near future that has you getting all the things that you want. Now, let me help you articulate what that world could be like, all the great things. That that means like your current problems are dissipated or they don't exist. You have all those things that you secretly want that you're not even talking to other people about. And then in addition to that, here's all the people and the way your life looks. Now, if you can articulate it as a marketer, then you now have the keys to the kingdom of value because you can say, I actually can get you from where you currently are to where you wanna be. And then that person goes, oh my gosh, what's that solution? What is that thing that gets me to that place that you just helped me articulate? Because I'm excited about that place. And then the value becomes between the distance between where they currently are, and where they want to be. And so I love the idea of problem solving in that way, because now you create something based on those two parameters that help people get from point A to point B. And that value has a price tag that no one cares about, kind of, because they just believe that your thing can take them there. And so I, I, I hope that makes sense, but that's how I look at problem solving and, and how kind of that foundational stuff I talked about in the beginning fits into it. 
No, that's actually absolutely amazing because, you know, I was had an interview with John Jantz yeah. from Duct Tape Marketing, and yeah. that is essentially what he said as well. Yeah, you know, great. Get Super them smart. from point A to point B, get them from where they're at today to where they want to be. Mm-hmm. And so thing, most people don't know where they want to be, right? Because they don't mm-hmm. live there. So I also think that there's a ton of value in being able to create a process that allows people to like get in that mindset or want something so bad in that vision, that future vision that they would be able to do anything for it or that they would be able to like take a step toward it with your product or solution. In fact, if they aren't taking a step and you do have a great product and service, because you probably do, then it means that they probably don't believe that thing. They don't believe in that future state and enough to be able to make those really hard decisions uh, to go chase it. And that's a good barometer for all of us um, because we can always tweak and adjust to get people excited about where they want to be. No, I love it. That's awesome advice. I mean, it's very, very deep, but I love it. I, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no. I, it makes it makes a ton of sense. I mean, it really does. I mean, yeah. and and if you can if you can actually help a customer see that you're going to differentiate yourself too. Cause that's another problem I think all marketers have or, you know, people that work for companies that are trying to sell products and services is how do you differentiate your business from the guy down the street? Yeah. Well, it's funny because I don't even think that the most successful businesses aren't even thinking about the person down the street. Like I, I honestly believe that when I, I think most competition is great and I always get a lot of you know, push back on this. But I think that if you're either one, if you're the first person in the market, congratulations, you have a problem. If you're the second, third, fourth, fifth, hundredth person to the market, good news. It's not as expensive because you don't have to educate the market on this new thing that you're introducing to it. So I love the idea of competition in terms of like shouldering the cost and the risk of going into any marketplace. Mm-hmm. But I like the idea of those really confident, unbelievable business owners who kind of look at their competition and say, cool, see you at the top. Like, I hope you get there too, because they're a business that ultimately serves people. And I think most of us like products or services, like ultimately do serve people. And so if you understand that there are just um, 7 billion of those, and then you start narrowing from there to your market, you understand that, that you don't even have the capacity to serve that many people in the first place. So you do need competitors um, that are doing something similar, if not the same thing in the world to be able to affect those people. And I think that's defined. And obviously, again, this is, it's so funny because usually I'm on podcasts and we're already laughing by now by something else. And this is all of a sudden just like deep, we're at the bottom of the ocean right now. <laughs> I'm trying to like submerge and come back up and tell a joke or something. Uh, but that is true. It's like, we we do have to, to take into account that competition sometimes is actually uh, just reworked community. Uh, in a way. <laughs> yeah. Again, I'm like, I, I'm like hating the words that are coming out of my mouth. I'm like sitting here watching myself being like, Ooh, don't say that. Uh, don't, yeah. Marcus, I'm going to delete all everything. That you said. Yeah. We're going to start. This is going to make it. This is a good animation. All right. Take two. Marcus, all right. Thank Murphy, yeah. Yeah, Marcus, two. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm starting this company called the five percent. <laughs> Welcome Marcus Murphy. We're so thank happy you. to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Anyway, okay. back to, back to less deep things. After. <laughs> So are there any foundational marketing strategies that you think never change? Oh, goodness gracious. I'll reframe that question because I love that question. I think that it's also kind of asking what's the most valuable thing to pay attention to in marketing. Okay. And honestly, I will say this, I'm borrowing because I've been around a lot of people. I've never been one of these. I do think I'm good at this, but I actually would never say that this is my identity, but I think 
there are some things that never change. The biggest one that I would tell everyone to triple down on is copywriting. And, okay. and the reason why out of those three pillars that I mentioned, the market message media, the one that you can really like differentiate, if that's what we're going to talk about then, if you want to really differentiate from the rest of your marketplace, and I'm not going to even say competitors, but the rest of your marketplace is to truly understand the message, to truly understand how to not only write a message that's super top of funnel that people will stop and and be able to one identify with raise their hand and say that's me but the addition of the story and that's really why i think that most people don't understand is like we love stories like i love stories like i think my girls are hilarious because i read to them every night and i read them peppa pig and they have fake british accents because we live in here i was telling you this earlier before our call but they do they like they have these like tea and crumpet accents out in the world here in in great britain and when they get back in the, in the house they're like hey dad what's up and i'm like where'd that go like where'd your refined beautiful peppa accent go um but i read to them every night and what i realized when i read to them and everybody who has kids totally understands this. But when you read to kids, they don't actually sit there and think about the story you're reading and the character in it. They actually think they are the character in it. So they think they are Peppa Pig and running around with George and, and mommy and, and daddy pig, right? Like that my girls are truly immersed in the story. And it's the measurement of how unbelievable and, and on target that story is, is being able to insert themselves into it. So when I step back and take that into account as a marketer, as a business owner, I know there's some serious weight in the story and that the story that we tell our, our consumer, the story that we tell our avatar and that story is so good that they get to insert themselves into it. And that's the measurement of whether we're doing it well or not. So I think there are some things that never change. Like I said, like the market media, the market message media. But I think that the one thing that I would sit and triple down on if I was looking at the rest of the world right now is the message and being able to craft a great story, creating great characters within your business that people can latch onto and insert themselves into. And I think that's something that you look at, I mean, great, great companies. I, I know I said something about Apple and being in the garage, but if you think about Apple, for example, Apple did differentiate. Yes, they're the same technology. I, I have all Apple stuff. I'm sitting here in a room full of so much money spent on Apple. And it's I don't actually think it's the best. I don't think it's the best. Yeah. yeah. And you're not, but I but I will never not be an Apple uh customer because their message was think different. Their message was always this uh, this kind of like explorative, like they created a, a story and a message that was allowing me to understand that if I bought into their company through their products, that I have a shot at being and putting on an identity that they promised I could have by having their things. So I, I would say that those things don't change. And if you pay attention as a business owner, you're not uh, trying to be Apple, but you are trying to get people, you're trying to tell a story that people want to be a part of. And I think that that copywriting is is probably at the core of that. And if you don't have a good message, you really kind of don't have a company. Yeah, and I think Apple thanks you for being spending all that money. <laughs> oh yeah, on all their products. <laughs> yeah, I mean, goodness, if they came out with a car, which they will someday, I would, like I'd have the ugliest car on the street that I don't like, but I would still get it. <laughs> that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So I had you both. You we both had talked about LinkedIn and that yeah. you are yeah. like the LinkedIn expert, and you definitely know a lot about LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, Thanks. And so, you know, obviously LinkedIn is a different market or for a different market. Obviously it's more for B2B businesses. Can you give us some tips on what people should be doing with regard to marketing and reaching out to people on LinkedIn? Uh, I get some pretty yeah. pushy messages from 
people yep. that are trying to sell me stuff on LinkedIn. Ooh, I uh, do you have, yeah, I do too. Do you have some tips on how to approach people on LinkedIn if you have products or services to sell? Yes. I wanted to mystify one thing. So B2B versus B2C. You know, Ryan Dice said this one time to me and it stuck, which was that it's not B2B, not B2C, it's H to H, which is human to human, right? And uh, it's because that when you when you think of everything through that lens, this platform becomes incredibly human, right? Because if we actually took a B2C approach in our B2B efforts, we would actually be standing out and differentiate ourselves pretty quickly because most of the stuff feels very business to business robotic, right? It just does. So on the platform, we approach this this uh, this incredible platform with nearly a billion people on it, and they're all saying that they're in, they're in a professional capacity. So we already kind of have some framework loosely, but that isn't always what works the best. But human behavior works the best. Like doing how we would interact in real life <laughs> online is funny that that is the the mind-blowing thing that i'm going to tell you is like the the most effective things that happen on that platform the most connections the people that are doing it really well have found a way to humanize their interactions and and themselves and they start that by creating spaces for conversation like i actually think that linkedin is really great if you can put your profile like you can actually start with your profile. And I'm not talking about optimizing your profile for an all-star profile, meaning like you have a photo and you have a headline and you have this. I'm actually thinking of it more of an opportunity of like how many ways can you help people or incentivize people to want to start a conversation with you? And think about it in real life. We do this all the time, the way we dress, what we drive, our car, whatever we have created in our mind that our world needs to look like to essentially be attractional. And we become performative in that. So I'm thinking LinkedIn is also very similar. But if we understand that that's kind of what humans do, then we need to also set ourselves up to uh, look and sound and feel a certain way. And that's the reason why I think that most people aren't looking at it this way, but this is truly where your personal brand lives. Like, I know that that's interesting because many people that are going to listen to this and and they're going to be like, I work for this company and I'm on LinkedIn. It's like, sure, but this is your personal account, your professional yeah. account to the world. And so if you look at it that way, if you understand that your photo, let's start there, probably should be clear 60% of the frame and not you and three other people or a dad joke where it's on the side or like something weird that you just need a clean headshot that is welcoming. It's not resting B face. It's like truly something that people want to. And, and the reason why I say that isn't because you should have a great photo. It's like, does that photo elicit a response from somebody who would want to be like, oh, I like that person's face. They seem welcoming and nice. And I would be like, okay, great. And that you're not catfishing people. So it's not this like really beautiful photo of you from 1992. Right. 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 Yeah. No, totally. Because yeah, online photos tend to turn into real life relationships. So those things tend to not match up sometimes. And then also what I love about LinkedIn on the specifically on, on your, your profile page is the ability to personalize the message. And we just talked about how important the message is. So like your headline, for example, which mine says, uh, now it used to say, it used to have an explanation of like being able to say, um, you know, I'm, I'm here to help double 10,000 businesses, or I, I specifically do these things. There's a few characters there that lets you actually express yourself instead of saying, I'm the CEO or the director of this, or the manager of this or whatever, that's kind of like the standard CV or resume approach. But I actually like the personalization it allows you for including the 2000 characters in your summary section. And I think uh, we've always wanted to put like bullet points in there because <laughs> we right. really, it used to be like, this is where my online resume lives. But then people started to, to write in a narrative format and start sharing 
story, like where they're going and what they're trying to accomplish and, you know, personalizing it by talking about themselves personally, instead of just the businesses that they work for. And what happens is there is that if I'm reading through your profile, those things stand out to me. I feel like I get to know you better. I feel like I know what you're there for. I feel like I know what your personal missions are. It humanizes it for me so that I actually want to reach out and connect. And many times, like you said, we get these crappy I wish I'd, I mean, I want to swear so bad, but I'm refraining because I'm in my home and my kids are near shot away, but we get these really crappy, <laughs> these really poopy messages for people. I, I use my girl's vernacular. My there you go. We get these messages that are thoughtless, mostly automated. They're just like, do you have a pulse in the face? And I'm going to send this thing off to you. And they never talk about us. It's always about them. And guess what? We don't care about other people. Like as human beings, we really don't. We care about what we're doing and how what you have makes my thing go faster or expedites it or takes my pain away. And I will say that whoever just started teaching, I want to know who they are. I want to put them against the wall and like literally throw bricks at them because they're doing such a dis disadvantage for all the rest of us who are truly trying to connect. I won't even look at my LinkedIn inbox anymore, really, like my assistant does. But I sit there and I'm like, man, I can count on one hand the thoughtful message where someone reached out to me. I was like, oh my gosh, I read this thing that you did, or I looked at this thing that you were doing, or I saw this post that you had, and I genuinely wanted to connect with you because I think it's great. And even then, I would love it if somebody took that approach and then told me, hey, I've got this thing, this whatever I'm focused on that totally fits into that thing that you care about and could totally help it go faster. But it's never that. It's like, hey, how are you doing? I thought you like this crap. It's like, no. Mm -hmm not the way that real life conversations would work. Because if you walked up somebody on the street and said, first of all, you just stared at them because, <laughs> because you know, on LinkedIn, you could see when someone looks at your page and then they don't say anything. You imagine real life. We just walked up to each other, stared and walked away. It's like the weirdest <laughs> thing ever. So I actually think about the humanistic ways that we would connect in real life and how to do that on this platform. And when we can kind of focus on those ways to personalize it and use like the real estate that we have, like our profile and the content that we can share or articles to be able to have it be an invitation to start a conversation, that's where we win. Like these messages would be so much better if they actually said, hey, I know you. I've taken the time to know you. I, I would just like to start a conversation with you because we do have this thing. And based on what I know about you, I think this thing would work. That's a whole different approach than what we're seeing on there. And most of it is just complete trash. <laughs> that's, no, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. No, yeah. So you're basically saying, okay, so it's, you never want to do like a hard, you know, sales not in, the, no. not in the mm -mm. beginning. You got to build that relationship first, right? Yeah. Well, like the major sin is coming in and using, you know, when you actually request someone's connection, you have 300 characters to write a little personalized message. And the worst thing you could ever do is use that personalized message to either one, give the very famous blanketed statement, which is like, Hey, I saw your profile or LinkedIn recommended your profile or, Hey, like you're a CEO, then whatever that little line is used for everybody, copy paste job to get more connections. That's actually a very, like, it's a red flag for me. Cause like, I don't need more connections. Like right. I just don't, but what I do like is when people use that to say something about why they're connecting. It's like a really normal thing to say, hey, I'm sending you this request because of blank. Like that's a great place to start, but you don't pitch me in that message mm -hmm. or tell me about you and what you have and what, like you're not even, you're not even giving me the opportunity to, to, to make a real human connection. And I think that's why we're also turned off by these messages is because somebody somewhere in the world is thinking this is a really effective model. And then they'll justify it by the data that they get being like, oh, it's 180% open rates and whatever. It's like, no, yeah, but you've ruined the relationship. How do you mm. hear that? Like you don't have the quantifiable data that says you're an asshole. Excuse me. Sorry. Sorry, girls. Okay. Sorry, okay. girls. Cover your ears, girls. <laughs> no, ear muffs, girls. Uh, yeah. How, give me those data points, please.
<laughs> well, you know, and I think that's true. I mean, you don't, you don't do that ever. Like even on, you know, even if you're selling, you know, person to person, that's not <laughs> how you would. Never. You know, treat imagine going door to door, like, like then showing up like the messages you, I mean, it would be very similar to going door to door. <laughs> well, and it makes me wonder, I mean, what makes them think it's effective? I mean, how many people actually say yes to those types of messages? Yeah. But think about like how we are teaching people to do sales, for example, right? 90 dials a day, hit the phone, cold calling. It's like, yeah, I totally understand that. I have not picked up a phone number. I didn't know. And mm -hmm. 15 years, right? And it, we didn't have cell phones then, but you get it, right? But the idea is that if we can understand that, yeah, you're going to get someone, you're going to get someone somewhere. And if you measure by, oh, it took me 91 dials to get somebody to pick up as opposed to, hey, my article that I just posted got 150 comments and a thousand people saw it in the first hour. And then out of those comments, I wrote back to them and sent them a message. And now we have a call scheduled. It's a very different thing because that measurable now becomes a bit more personalized and personalized doesn't scale, does it? It doesn't. So I think that most people are thinking about it in the wrong way. It's like marketing is, is about uh, automation is great. It stands up the human relationship and it can make life easier, but it can't overtake it. Just like the, 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 the mindless outreach going through the phone book, calling people is never truly going to replace the people that are coming to your front door because of something that you're interested in. It's like the two types of celebrities, right? One sitting there on a table, beating pots and pans together, telling everybody to look at them. We know those people, right? We know those celebrities. And yeah. then there's other people that have done really cool things and they look behind them and there's just millions of people following them. I think that is always the goal to be the latter in, in, in everything that we do, especially on these online social platforms. Great. And I, and I do think out of all of the social media platforms, I think that LinkedIn is still kind of the purest. I mean, <laughs> as it's getting a little, a little political in some respects, but I think for the most part, it's staying true to its core. Do you agree with me? I have to under contract of my advisor. Oh. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, I, I uh, no, 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 NDA. no, 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 no. I, um, I do believe that it's got a real shot at being different and it's actually, um, it's, it's, it's grown to prominence because it is a place that people feel a bit more uh, protected and it feels a little bit more safe. And we're starting to see these things creep in where we don't have to hear about, you know, aunt Sally's ideas of, you know, whether she thinks systemic racism is real or not. Like we're not trying to do that. We right. don't see that, but sometimes we do because we're humans, right? They're human beings on this platform. We just see a lot less of it. And also just by comparison, there's a lot less people on the platform than a Facebook or Twitter, et cetera. But I do think that we're starting to understand that framework does make a difference. So if you, if this is the site for professionals where your online persona, professional persona lives, it almost sets a precedent on the platform, which allows us to still kind of have some faith in it because we hope that people are coming there to speak about things that are going to help us in our business lives. And I think when you give people that kind of prompt, not like a Facebook where it's like you go there to stalk your ex-boyfriends and girlfriends, I think that there's more to it than that, which gives us uh, some hope. Yeah. So I love, I love people tripling down and I keep saying that redundant but I think people should be really focusing and coming up with a LinkedIn strategy for themselves and their business because that's kind of a, a place to play. And it's funny, I said 780 million people, but that's not LinkedIn's goal. Like LinkedIn and Microsoft's goal is to have billions of people on the platform, all professionals 
that actually are like jobs or job seekers or whatever that are on this platform. So actually right now, even with 780 million people on the platform, you're kind of like an early adopter if you're paying attention. So if you get in now and you start building your momentum and really using it and sharing content and getting more conversations started, you're way ahead of the game. And so, yeah, I would say yeah. LinkedIn is, I mean, I'm biased, but I'm no. Yeah. No, I, I actually think from a business perspective, I mean, I, I get, I don't get a lot of leads from this platform, but I get, I do get a lot of qualified connections that have helped Absolutely. me get jobs, you know what yeah. I mean? And help me get work. So I think it's a great platform for business owners and marketers to use. They just have to use it smart in a smart way, I think. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> definitely. Just like so, people like Sherry, you know, you have to be more, be like Sherry, everybody. No, be like Marcus. Marcus. <laughs> no way. Be like Marcus. Be like Marcus. Um, so we're getting close to wrapping this up. Do you have any other advice for marketers as far as strategies or any other tips you'd like to share before we ask the final question? You know what? I will sneak one in here that's really short that I just had a conversation about with my team. And I think that it's, um, we don't do enough research. And that's not a marketer thing. I think that's a uh, just a blanket statement. But I, I had a really interesting conversation with our team. And I said, man, are we curious? Like, you ever met somebody who's super curious? In fact, you ever met somebody who's like, they, they don't really talk about themselves. And then they talk about you. And then you talk about you. And then it's like, you walk away from that. And you're like, oh, what a great conversation. Right? Because you're like, <laughs> right. about me. For that like was me. Five minutes. But those types of people are very intentional. And those intentionalities are things that can be replicated. It's things that we can put on. And so I challenged our team to really start to think about how do we become incredibly curious about our customer? And how do we, how do we put ourselves in a situation where we're asking more questions and we're saying, and we're, we're speaking less and listening more. And I think that that was just something that was great. It hit me over the weekend because I was being a customer and not getting treated that way. And mm -hmm. I thought to myself, I was like, how do we be the antithesis of this? And, uh, and I think that was cool. So if you guys, that's the one sneaky thing in there, but the meditation on that, oh my goodness, that, that made me, that kept me going for a few days. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> I, I love that. And it's interesting that, that popped into your head because you had an experience that made you think is that hey, the way it goes oh man that's yeah. that's awesome yeah i don't want to be like that person no. i think we need to be the opposite of that person <laughs> yeah 100 percent. that's awesome that's great awesome well my last question is i believe that if you don't fail you're not doing something right because i think mm -hmm. you learn from your mistakes 100%. can you give us an example of a marketing failure or a business failure that you had that you learned uh -huh. something from I just, yeah, let me get out my long, my list. <laughs> my long list. Yeah. That rolls down the stairs. You ever seen those? You like open the thing and it just scroll. Or um, you drop a roll of toilet paper and it. Like, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. That would be, that would essentially be my list. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, 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 I'm a person who's never really learned a lot in success. So I, I have a, a hard head and whatever your parents said the other one was. And I, I always, I always have to push the limits. And I think marketers can totally identify with this because most marketers are in it to like break stuff and, you know, make messes and try to figure things out. Uh, biggest failure is truly just, a th I mean, gosh, I've, I've tried to inoculate myself in my career, like in my professional career, not as an entrepreneur, but my professional career, I was always trying to take the right step. I was always like trying not to put my foot in it or like mess up or embarrass myself. And so I think I'll share embarrass myself because that okay. one, that one seemed to be happening. Um, so I was sitting around uh, a room full of really smart, unbelievable business owners and I was representing our company, right? So, and I won't say our perfect company because then it'll be easier to figure out who those really smart people were. Um, but I, I remember wanting to be able to be at that table. 
and this is a, such a pride thing, but when you when you're a younger executive or you're a younger person or you're just like trying to figure yourself out, you always want to feel important and you want to like try to put that on and be like that's my subconscious identity and I want it to take over so other people think that I'm important and that everything in my life needs to make it look like I'm important to be able to be at this table. So I'm at the table, right? I'm at the table and uh, we're all kind of going around, which is really weird. We were reading something. So we had to like take turns reading it out loud and I, uh, it got to me. And so I was reading and I said, this particular hyperbole has been really a cornerstone and blah, 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 blah. And I, and no one really kind of said anything. And then the smartest person in the room who I idolize, who I literally want to be like, who I've read every book that he's ever written. And I've just been like, oh my gosh, turned to me and said, oh, how many tickets do you have to the hyperbole? And I'm like, oh shit. Oh no. So hyperbole is a really good word to learn. You know, Very cool. so it's epitome. And so it's all those other tricky, stupid words that we have in the English language that you don't say out loud in front of people you idolize who think now no. think no. you're dumb. <laughs> but you know, funny. but that humility was so important to me. And the joke that they made was actually really important too. And um, yeah, I would say it's funny. I I I think I tried so hard to not feel like an imposter that I felt inside if we're not getting deep again. Now we're in the bottom of the ocean. But I, I but I remember I remember sitting there laughing because I'm like, oh man, I'll never get hyper I'll never hyperbole. ever yeah. <laughs> I never get hyperbole in my life. Yeah. So I want to teach your girls that word now. Oh my gosh. Hyperbole and yeah, epitome. Come on guys. Like this is the the my worst nightmare. And I have like second person embarrassment when I watch other things like that happen where I just want to crawl under the table and die. But it happened to me. So I'm like sweating and I just want to leave. You know? Oh my gosh. Um, but I was young and that that was a story that has very much humanized me. And it also makes me appreciate that people are just going to say stuff wrong and you're going to have stuff in your hair and stuff in your beard and you're going to have a, a popsicle on your on stuff to your jacket from your girls, like whatever. It just, it's all a part of it. And uh, the more that I now have like really tried to figure out who I am, I feel like I'm much more prepared for moments like that. <laughs> that's so funny. Oh my God. That's so funny. I love it. Love that story. Thank well, you. and we're all human. And so. Yeah. yeah. That might be the underlying message of this whole, this whole chat with us. Um, but yeah, I, I've really appreciated being on your very human podcast <laughs> and just, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so this much. This has been great. Well, if people want to get a hold of you, Marcus, how can they do that? Where should they go to find you? Yeah. So two places I'm, I'm almost like scared to do that, but <laughs> my, my, my LinkedIn, my LinkedIn for sure. I am there. If you type in Marcus Murphy, I'm usually the, the first one that pops up, which is cool until it's not. And then, uh, I also, I do, if you, if you, I will say this, if I can help and I can truly help and you have like a very serious thing that you want help with, or you want to talk to me about something, I like email. I still like it. Like, even though people think it's dead, I actually think people who are connected to it might be, but there are really thoughtful people out there. So if you're a thoughtful person, you can email me at Marcus at the 5% all spelled out. So P-E-R-C-E-N-T, not the sign. So the5percent.com. And um, I love connecting with awesome people. Absolutely. That's great. So don't, don't spam him. Don't, don't spam me. Don't put me on your, yeah, don't put me on your newsletter. Like just, if you, if you want to be a thoughtful human person and you want to have a conversation or you like this podcast, like, please reach out to me or connect yes. me. Like it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Marcus is a great person. Please do not abuse him. <laughs> thank, thank be you. nice. Be nice. We want him to come back again someday. We do not want to ruin this relationship guys. I will. Well, thank you, Marcus. This has been amazing. I truly appreciate your time because I know how busy you are and I appreciate it. You have been a wonderful guest. 
I hope everyone enjoyed this conversation and thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Marketing Plan Podcast. Thank you.